Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. So today I'm gonna walk you through a case study, the story of Netflix, how they started and eventually disrupted cable television, how they disrupted the movie industry, how they disrupted Blockbuster, how they became the largest entertainment company in the world. This is the story of Netflix, their growth strategy, their initial concepts from DVD subscriptions all the way through to uh, becoming the streaming king of the world. This is a business case study. This is Netflix's growth story. So case study, how Netflix multiplied its value by 500x. So our story today dates back to 1997, beginning with the failure of the highly popular Blockbuster. So for those who are too young to remember, Blockbuster was a movie rental service with a physical store. They had physical stores full of DVDs all over the US, Canada, North America. The American tradition, I say general, general weekend tradition was you rent a movie on Friday night, you watch it with your family Friday or Saturday night, you bring it back on Monday. Back in 1997, Blockbuster, and I think there's only one Blockbuster left in the world now, but Blockbuster was a billion dollar company with more than 6,000 stores in the US alone, having revenue of $391 billion. But the problem was that 16% of their revenue came from late fees, which was annoying millions of its customers. This was part of their business model. That was a huge portion of the revenue, not just renting the movies, but counting on people to screw up. One of the customers, one Blockbuster customer, got fined in excess of $40 in late fees. This annoyed him so much that he went on to start his own company. That man was none other than Reed Hastings, and the company that he founded is what we know as Netflix today. But Netflix didn't always start out as the subscription service. You turn on your TV, you see a whole bunch of uh, bespoke, made-for-Netflix movies and TV shows. No, it started off much different. So let's first understand how Netflix started off. It was very smart. Reed and uh, Mark Randolph, those are the two co-founders, they were very smart in how they exploited the most undesirable attribute of their competition. So in 1997, Netflix started as a subscription-based DVD in-mail service, as in if you wanted to watch a movie, instead of going to Blockbuster, you made a DVD order online, you made a list of DVDs that you wanted to watch online, and you sent it to Netflix. They would deliver the DVD within two to three days. When you returned the DVD that you had requested, they would send you the next one on the list. All of this was being offered at an affordable subscription fee without any late fees at all. So they were doubling down on the worst part of in-store movie rentals that Blockbuster was offering. Between 2000 and 2003, way before they had this streaming service, the company still enjoyed consistent growth. 
Netflix went public in May 2002, again, way before the streaming service, with an initial share price of $15. Today, a Netflix share is worth over $500. By the end of 2006, Netflix had over 6 million subscribers, boasting a seven-year annual compound growth rate of 79%. Finally, they had become profitable in 2006. The company generated more than $80 million in profits, but they never got comfortable with their success. So by 2007, Netflix introduced its online streaming service, which was the first iteration of what we know today as the Netflix that we all know and love. They called it Watch Now. The service was truly radical for the time. Many people thought the company was crazy. And keep in mind, they were public. They had shareholders to answer to. They had a board of directors. They had a lot of people that were watching them. They were not a startup when they introduced streaming. They were profitable. They were doing well, but they were not happy with being comfortable with their success. Remember, Netflix's goal was to reduce friction in accessing entertainment. This was always their vision, and everything that they did aligned with their vision. This is a great lesson for founders too. If you don't have that vision, if you don't have that North Star that you're going towards, then a lot of people would have just been happy with the success that Netflix had when they were just getting DVDs to customers. They were reducing friction to accessing entertainment that way, but they wanted to take it a step further. So. First, Netflix refined and improved its DVD by mail service through faster delivery, more distribution centers, and eliminating fees. That was the first way they wanted to uh, reduce friction and accessing entertainment. Of course, they already did this by removing any sort of late fees, but they doubled down on it. But here's the thing. Netflix was hitting some big numbers, and even though they were hitting big numbers, they were doing very well in the DVD rental business. They knew that it wouldn't last. They knew that they had to do something different. As an entrepreneur, if you get comfortable with a single business success, that is going to be your death. That's going to be your downfall. Most companies fail to evolve. They fail to adapt to a changing business dynamic and environment. They've been forced out of the market. They get disrupted. So think about Blockbuster, uh, BlackBerry, Nokia. Think about what Uber did to cabs. Think about what Airbnb did to hotels. If you do not disrupt, if you are not future-proofing, if you are not forward-thinking, you are going to get disrupted. So Netflix started early to future-proof their business by entering the video streaming market. They wanted to be the disruptors, not They didn't want to be disrupted. So by making this shift, they can now provide subscribers with instant access to thousands of titles that you could binge watch on any device, while cable companies were more concerned with traditional business models and quarterly revenue targets. Blockbuster wasn't doing anything. They were just business as usual. Netflix was looking a decade ahead into the future. So needless to say, if Netflix wanted to reduce friction to accessing entertainment and they wanted to allow everybody to stream movies online, The technology to make their vision a reality was non-existent. They took on a huge risk and invested more than $40 million in developing new streaming technologies in 2007. It's mind-boggling to think that they invested $40 million when they were doing $80 million in revenue per year because there was literally no consumer demand for what they were offering. A lot of people thought the idea wouldn't work. However, since most people didn't believe in the tech, they didn't believe in the concept, there was no competition for streaming. It's not like there is today with all these different streaming companies or all these different mainstream networks trying to get into streaming. This was 2007. So by the time everyone else finally caught on, and some people are still just catching on now in 2021, Netflix was way ahead of them. So the company doubled down, invested $40 million, they had the best streaming tech, the most extensive list of titles because they already were doing this for X many years before. They had the largest subscriber base. In 2008, the company announced it was stopping its DVD retail sales one week after debuting the Watch Now on all Mac and Apple platforms. By 2011, 
Netflix rebranded its DVD rental business, uh, spreading its streaming business and rental business and changing them all into subscription packages. And that's really where that hockey stick growth just took off. So from 2013, you can quite honestly say Netflix began to conquer the world, or at least the streaming world. The company dove headfirst into original programming with its high-profile political drama House of Cards. Both critics, fans gave the show rave reviews, and they're already dominating the streaming market. Now they're doing original programming, and it was a, it was an absolute hit. That was a crucial turning point in Netflix's growth because when they dropped DVDs and they dropped retail DVDs and they dropped subscription DVDs and they invested all of this into, they invested so much money into, uh, into subscription streaming and even like even the tech behind subscription streaming, these were all major risks, all major risks. This was a publicly traded company. This could have blown up in their face. But after they really figured out their streaming and then they started going into original titles and those hit home and those really resonated, that's when they really, like their growth was exponential and at this point nobody could keep up. From 2016 onwards, Netflix received numerous awards and accolades including 54 nominations at the 68th Primetime Emmy Awards and everything else is history. They simultaneously went live in 130 countries. Their feature films also became increasingly ambitious and attracted some of Hollywood's finest screenwriters, directors, actors. In 2017, Netflix subscribers had surpassed the total number of cable subscribers in the United States. And with this, Netflix effectively became the largest entertainment provider in the world. So what are some key takeaways from their incredible growth, their incredible success story? Well, number one, identify your key growth metric and stick with it. It's no secret that most new businesses fail. Some fail because they take too many risks at once. Uh, Others fail because they don't aim high enough or take any risks at all. As a business person, as an entrepreneur, it is essential to identify a massive potential market that you can grow into and test and iterate and try things so that you can exploit as much out of that potential market as possible. You can get the most out of that potential market because the first way you tackle that market may not be the most successful way. So you have to try and test and iterate, but you have to know what that key growth metric is. So for example, so for Facebook, a social media giant, they have billions of users but they still care about users' engagement and still try and figure out new ways to maximize user engagement. That is their key growth metric. Google, still interested in the number of searches conducted every single month, even though, like, who would ever say that there's a competitor for Google right now? But they still care about the number of searches conducted every single month. Despite being one of the largest tech companies in the world, they still know what their metric is. And Netflix, their key metric, was how many movies a user watched. They knew that if they could figure out how many movies a user watched and they could find ways to get a user to watch more movies, they would be successful. So that is reducing friction to access entertainment, getting a user to watch more movies. That was their growth metric and everything they did revolved around that metric. They also made some obvious moves and you can make obvious moves. So obvious moves don't necessarily have to be dumb. So by 2007, it was obvious that the DVD rental market was facing a decline. It was an obvious move to look for a way to attract new customers while while retaining existing ones. It was an obvious move to move away from DVDs. Blockbuster didn't make the obvious move. 
data was showing that it was an obvious move. The evolve or die was very, very much a thing, but too many established players could not grasp the change was coming. If Hastings had listened to the naysayers who thought that streaming videos was nothing but a fad, there would be no Netflix and they would have not have had the success that they, they had. And there would probably be someone else that would have moved into that position. So focus on obvious moves, pay attention to your market, pay attention to your customers, their habits, because they are going to tell you where they want to go. And if you don't listen to them, again, you will be disrupted. Uh, last thing was focus on quality. This is so obvious, but it's, I just have to reiterate throughout the history of Netflix, everything they did was high quality. You have to understand that this allowed them to achieve that North Star metric, that key KPI, that key growth metric from getting DVDs to customers faster to developing new streaming technologies by investing $40 million in technology for a market that at the time didn't exist. The quality of the Netflix experience and the quality of the content was always at the forefront. They never ever sacrificed any sort of quality. This has helped them build not only a large subscriber base, but a loyal audience of fans. Quality doesn't necessarily mean just spending more money on your product. How's your customer support? How's your onboarding process? Improving the customer's experience should be one of your cornerstones for your company, just in case customers don't see things from your perspective. Be quick to listen to them and evolve accordingly. And those three things, of course, they've had tons of different strategies over the years uh, that have helped them be successful. But those three things has really helped Netflix get from where they started to where they are today. That is the story of Netflix. And that is why they are so successful. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash That's netsuite.com 
slash Scott Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 